بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا معلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله uh, we continue again tonight with our Fathu Dil Jalali Walikram, our commentary on Bulughul Maram. And we are currently in the chapter of Salah, busy with which chapter? The topic of Salatul Tatawu, right? We're busy speaking about the Salah or the voluntary prayers, the voluntary Salawat. And the last Ahadith that we discussed previously was on the topic of Qiyamul Layl as well as Witr. Right? We spoke about a couple of ahadith about the importance of Witr, um, the encouragement to pray Witr and not to leave off the Witr Salah, as well as the various forms of praying Witr Salah. How Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa used to pray at times one rak'ah or three or five or seven or nine and so forth. As well as before that, the Qiyamul Layl, how he used to pray the Qiyamul Layl prayers. Um, so the last hadith we spoke about was on the, the timing of Witr, was on the time period of Witr, that it starts after Salatul Isha and it lasts right, button, right up until just before Fajr. So you, if the time of Fajr is fast approaching, you have to pray your Witr before that. Once Fajr comes in, then you have missed your Witr if you do not pray the Witr before that. This is what we explained. The other point we made was is, if you overslept and you had the intention of praying Witr, right? And you woke up, it's Fajr already, you've missed the Witr. What should we then do? What should we then do? What was it that we said you should do? If you overslept and you missed the Witr, it must be in your, in your, your, your mental notes. What is it we said that you must do? Oh, it is in the notes. Do you make up the rakaat? How? Something like that. You make up what? Some rakaat. We said that whatever your ada is, or what you were going to pray. So let's say you prayed three rakaat of witr, usually, and you overslept. Then the next day, what you should try and do is try to make up for that three rakaat by praying not three but four. Because you cannot pray three rakaat because three is only for witr. That uneven number is only for witr, right? So therefore, you would pray four rakaat. If you are somebody who prays one rakaat of witr, then at least make two rakaat to make up. So you're not making witr the next day. Like during the morning period, for example, you are making salah in that time, but it's also to cover or to make up for that witr that you missed. So if you usually make three rakaat of witr, 
Whether it's in one go or separated by two and one raka'ah, you should then make four. And if you usually make five or you intended to make five that night, then make six. And if it's seven, then make eight and so forth. Two by two, obviously, right? And then it will be, there will be no uneven raka'ah because it's not witr. <coughs> the uneven raka'ah, that is the witr. Understand? So this is what we said should be done. This is what we said should be done to make up for witr if you miss the witr. If you overslept for the witr. And this also shows us the status of witr. That even if it's missed, it should be, something should be done to, to at least recompense for what was missed of that great reward of the witr salah. Tayyib, we move on to the next hadith, which is narrated from Aisha, Ummul Mu'mineen, radiyallahu anha, that she said, Kana Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yusalli al-duha arba'an, wa yazidu ma sha'allah. She says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to pray al-duha four times, or should I say uh, in four raka'at. Arba'an meaning in four raka'at. He used to pray al-duha in four raka'at. First and foremost, what is al-duha? What is al-duha? Okay, khair. So, meaning, duha is the, the morning salah. Right? It's a, it's a time, it's a prayer that we pray in the morning, a salah that we pray in the morning, which is a voluntary prayer. It's not a fard. It's mustahab. It's a sunnah. However, when does the time of duha start? It starts after the sun had, has risen. It starts after the sun has, has risen. So the sun has obviously now risen. This is when Fajr is over. So Fajr stops at a particular time, then sunrise starts. Correct? Then, for about 15 minutes, for about 15 minutes, we have a time where it's, what? Forbidden to pray. Correct? There's a time period in the morning where it's forbidden to pray, which is during the sunrise time. Because this was a time when the mushrikeen used to pray at the time of sunrise. So our salah of fajr is before that period. When that period comes in, we don't pray. We, we, when... When that period comes in, we don't pray after Fajr, right? And for how long is this period? The height of a spear, right? So if you were to hold the spear and you look at the top, basically when the, when the sun gets to that point, that's the height of a spear. Usually it's around about 15 minutes, usually. But obviously everything is not fixed, right? So you can give or take. Maybe in the winter it's a bit... Longer or shorter, dependent on the season, right? But generally speaking, it's about 15 minutes where it's not forbidden, where it's forbidden to pray salah, voluntary salah, right? So once the sun has risen beyond that point, takes about 15, could be 20 minutes to get to that point, the waqt of duha comes in. The waqt of duha starts. Up until when does the waqt of duha, duha remain? So the word duha means that period there, that, that morning shift, you know, after the sun has risen. Fajr is early morning before sunrise. Duha is after sunrise. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by this and he says in the Quran, what duha? By that early morning period. 
So when does this period last until? Up until when does it remain? The waqt of duha. So we can start praying at that time already. Early in the morning after the sun has risen. Khayyad sunrise is over. Before midday. Okay, so when is that? Midday, what do you mean by midday? Do we mean noon? 12 o'clock? What's midday? 10. So midday and 10. Zenith. Okay, so that is what? Zawal. This is the word for this is Zawal. When the sun reaches its zenith. And that is the time when Duha stops. So Duha is from the time the sun has risen up until it reaches, reaches its zenith, which is the time of Zawal. When Zawal kicks in, the time is also once again forbidden. That's another forbidden period of Salah. You're not allowed to just make Nafil Salah in that time period. So when that time kicks in, Salah is now forbidden up until Zuhr. Up until Zuhr. This also usually lasts about 20 minutes. Perhaps half an hour depending on the season. That time there of Zawal, up until the sun moves to a certain point, Zuhr Salah then kicks in. Zuhr Salah then kicks in. But this is the waqt of Duha. After the sun has risen, by at least a spear's length, up until Zawal. This is the waqt of Duha. This is the waqt of um, Duha. So Aisha, she says, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, he used to pray four raka'at of Duha. Four raka'at of Duha, وَيَزِيدُ مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ And he used to increase upon that as much as Allah will. MashaAllah. As much as Allah will. Understand? So what does this tell us? This tells us that he at least used to pray four. And then some, and then he would add on to that. More. Understand? Um, so she's not giving us a number again. Restricting it to eight rakat or twelve rakat or ten rakat. She says he's prayed four. And then he added or increased on that as much as Allah allowed or Allah willed. طيب, this is what Aisha radiallahu anha says. And we know, where did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pray the salah? Where is the sunnah? Where, do we, where are we supposed to pray al-duha? At home. This is the best place to pray duha. The best place to pray your nafil is at home. If you are in the masjid, of course, there's no problem praying it in the masjid. Right? It's permissible. But he used to pray it at home. If you're in the workplace and you have a moment... You have a space, you can pray duha there, of course, no problem. Right? But he prayed this at home, and Aisha was the most knowledgeable when it comes to the matters of the home. That's why we, most of the ahadith that she narrates is what happened in the home. So she gives us the detail on these issues. Um, so he prayed at least four raka'at. And this is the norm. When she says, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yusalli, this wording tells us this was the this was majority of the time. This is what he used to do. We translate it like that. If you say someone, you know, the, my father used to do this and this and that. That type of a narration, what, what does that mean? Does that mean he did it once off? Or that was his daily routine? Right? This is the same with this ahadith. When, you, when it's narrated like this, kana, with the word kana, and then a fi'il mudari', which is a, a future tense or present tense verb, when this combination is used in Arabic, in many of the hadith it comes up, 
she's she, it, be, uh, it means like this that this was the norm this is how they used to do it so he used to do this like this meaning this was the the, the routine four rakat and then add on that as much as he or as much as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, willed right but a po- important point here is the least he used to make was four the least that he used to make was four what does this tell us can you make two rakat of duha okay first of all how did he make four rakat is it two by two or four in one go Two by two, this was the norm. So we stick to that, that's the asl, right? That's the foundation. We stick to that. He prayed two and then two, right? However, this doesn't mean that it's not permissible to pray two. It just means that he at least used to pray four. And then sometimes add on to that as much as he wanted to. But this doesn't tell us what? It's not permissible to pray two. His method was... He generally used to pray four raka'at at least. Generally speaking, yeah, we not the wording of this hadith does not restrict us to anything. To say he he uh, he prayed four and he said it's not permissible to pray less than four. Similar to the Taraweeh issue, she says he prayed so much and he never made more than that. He made eleven raka'at and not more than that. But does that doesn't mean? The Prophet didn't say, you cannot make more than 11 raka'at. That was the way he prayed it. Right? It's, it's salah, two by two. That's how he said it. The, 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 the night prayer is two by two. No restriction. The same here, there's no restriction. The fact that he prayed at least four and up, doesn't mean that it's not permissible to pray two. If you've prayed two, you've prayed duha. You fulfill the practice of duha. If you pray more, alhamdulillah. That's more. It's better. But if you add a moment, five minutes, two minutes, you make two raka'at, alhamdulillah, you've prayed duha. You achieve the reward of duha. Just like Qiyamul Layl. If you pray two raka'at of Qiyamul Layl, is it Qiyamul Layl? You get the reward of tahajjud of Qiyamul Layl? Yes, you do. Yes, you even though the Prophet used to pray 11 raka'at at night. Even though. But if you pray two, and then one raka'at waiter, you achieved tahajjud. You with me? So the hadith, hadith is not telling us that you're not allowed to pray less than this. It's telling us that he generally prayed four and up. Four and up. Are you with me? And we'll see there's a number of hadith on this issue that will clarify things as we go along. Um, طيب. So firstly, we, we see this is from his action, right? This hadith is from the actions of the Prophet. We spoke about this a few weeks back. Some sunnah are established from the actions of the... He used to do this and that. And I remember asking this question, I'm going to ask it again. How else do we learn the sunnah? We get certain ahadith that teaches us a sunnah from the actions of the Prophet wasallam, like this one. Aisha is telling us, she, she's narrating the hadith. Right? So she's telling us, he used to pray duha for and up. As much as Allah willed. So that is from the actions of the Prophet from his fi'il. How else do we learn? What other hadith do we get? When, when you allow something. Okay, he gives consent or tacit approval. 
something happened and he permitted it. We spoke about this back then, right? That's another way that we can learn the sunnah. What's the third way? His speech. Ahsant. His speech. Other ahadith, he would speak and say, you should do this and you should do that and whoever does this will get this reward and whoever doesn't do this will get this and so forth. So regarding the duha, the first hadith that we are talking about is from the actions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the son that he used to do. Right? Regarding his speech, regarding his, or should I say his instructions, there's a hadith that he instructed this upon Abu Hurairah radiallahu Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu says, Awsani Khalili sallallahu alayhi wa sallama bithalathin. Abu Hurairah says, My Khalil, meaning my close friend. Your Khalil is your best friend, your closest friend, your bosom buddy. He says, My Khalil, my closest companion, the most beloved to me, advised me with three things. Advised me with three things. Abu Hurairah. And this in itself is already a beautiful way to start the hadith. He says, my Khalil, my most beloved companion, referring to the Prophet ﷺ, advised me with three things. He said, صِيَامُ ثَلَاثَةِ أَيَّامٍ مِنْ كُلِّ شَهَرٍ To fast three days of every month. To fast three days of every month. On this point we learn, it's a sunnah to fast three days of the month. This again is mutlaq, it's unrestricted. Any three days. If you fast three days in the month, you're fulfilling the sunnah. Understand? We can get more specific and say, there are the three days, the three white days. That's a different hadith though. That speaks about the white days. So that is a sunnah, yes. 13th, 14th and 15th, to fast in every lunar, not the non-Muslim months, the lunar month, the Islamic months. To fast every 13th, 14th and 15th is a sunnah. But this hadith doesn't mention those three days, it mentions any three days. So if you fasted the first, then the 15th or the 17th, and then the 29th of Muharram, of Rabiul Awwal, of Rabiul Akhir, you're fulfilling the Sunnah. Understand? And this is again separate to the Monday and Thursday and all. Those are extra Nawafil fasts. So you fast Monday, Thursday, that's, that's also special Sunnah. But this is any three days in the month. This is what he advised him with. And secondly, he said, duha," And two raka'at of duha. What did he advise me with? Two raka'at of duha. This proves what we mentioned earlier. That the least for duha is at least two raka'at. No problem making two. If you make more, alhamdulillah. <coughs> better, that's nurun ala nur. Right, that's light upon light. It's better. But he, he advised him with two raka'at. That's the least. At least make that two raka'at. At least fast three days in the month. And then he said, وَأَنْ أُوْتِدُ قَبْلَ أَنْ أَنَامُ And that I pray witter before I sleep. That I make witter before I go to sleep. And in another version or in another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam advised Abu Darda, Abu Darda, another sahabi, with the same advice. Abu Darda narrated the same thing, that he also advised me with these three things. 
fast three days in the month, pray two raka'at of, of duha, and pray with it before you go to bed. And this, this is an easy, th- something very easy for every single Muslim to do. No person has an excuse not to fulfill these things in reality. Three days in the month, unless you have a terminal illness or you're very old, three days in the month is very easy. I think it's only a lazy person that, that can't fulfill this in reality. It's only a person who's not, he doesn't have the, the care or the, the worry to fulfill the sunnah that will not fulfill the sunnah. And the same with duha. Two raka'at you've got from sunrise till 12.30 or maybe before that now, depending on the waqt, right? You've got the whole morning, the whole morning to pray just two raka'at. It takes you five minutes, five minutes. Yet, how much Muslims actually fulfill the sunnah? You know, we, we make time for everything else. Here's the advice of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Both sahaba say, Abu Huraira and Abu Darda say, this, he advised us with these three things. At least two raka'at of duha. At least two raka'at of duha. And then, to pray witted before I sleep. Right, we've spoken about the witted issue. When is the best time to pray it? At the end of the night. If you're planning to make Qiyam yes. Why did he advise Abu Hurairah to pray before he sleeps? We, I mentioned this before. Yes, you're on the right, you're on the right track. Um, Abu Hurairah used to review his hadith before at night till late. So he didn't sleep early because he was busy during the nights going over hadith, revising his hadith. Remember, who is the most, who, who narrated the most hadith? Abu Hurairah. Nobody narrated more hadith than him. So he would learn any hadith and all a hadith that he possibly could from the Prophet from other Sahaba and so forth and he gathered them. Some say he compiled a book of them. But maybe not all, most was we in his memory. So at night, the thousands of hadith that he knew is where he's, narr- he's, he's revising those hadith, not to forget what he learned from the Prophet Understand? So because of this, the Prophet says to him, okay, you have a valid reason for being up late. The sunnah again is actually to sleep, to sleep early. The sunnah is to sleep early and wake up early. That's the way it should be. We sleep early so that we can wake up for Qiyamul Al. Those who sleep late cannot wake up. Because how are you going to wake up? This is the sunnah. Sleep early, make Qiyam, Fajr. You fresh in the morning and then you can take that little nap. For example, around the afternoon time. And you're fresh for the rest of the day. This is the most or the best way to plan your day. If you want to achieve things in the day and have a day of, uh, you know, success. And a day where you achieve things, this is the best way to do that. Many ulama like Ibn al-Qayyim and others would say, a person who does this will find his rizq. This will bring him more rizq. Allah puts barakah in this times Because he's following the sunnah. And he would say, the one who sleeps during the day, Allah snaps, snatches his rizq away. Because that blessed time, because the hadith says, Allah has blessed my ummah in the morning time. Allah has blessed my ummah when? During the mornings. 
during the meaning that's the time for work that's the time to achieve things to get things done there's barakah in that time so ibn al-qayyim would say those who sleep through that period allah snatches their rizq away they start the day late they finish the day late and they're busy late and so forth obviously if there's a valid reason right like abu huraira had a valid he's maybe working during the day and at night and at night he's to review his hadith so a student of knowledge for example examination times for example we can understand you know we can establish we need to revise things we need to read over things this is understandable but that's a valid reason so he says to him you should pray with it before you sleep because there's a possibility you're not going to wake up before fajr to pray qiyam and to um, make with it so just in case pray with it before you sleep so that and remember seeking knowledge is more virtuous than qiyamul layl so this is not a a, a shortcoming of abu huraira or, or, or to say that he never prayed qiyamul layl or anything like that it was just out of the hikmah of the prophet because you are up late pray with it and go sleep and if you wake up you can still pray qiyam we explained this last week that witr is not far that it has to be the last prayer however if he overslept why was he awake he was awake because he was he was basically studying seeking knowledge reviewing his hadith and the act of seeking knowledge is more virtuous than any other sunnah act even qiyamul layl even standing in the night prayer seeking knowledge is better than that so if abu huraira overslept because of that he got something better than qiyam which was the his, his revising of hadith which is now widespread for the whole of the ummah to benefit from and all of this rewards goes back to him understand so there's hikmah in this teachings of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and obviously a lot of barakah in it we should try and stick to the sunnah and not oppose the sunnah unnecessarily today the sunnah has changed we stay up late and we're watching things on 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 YouTube and, and and all of these other platforms that's why we up late the series and his movies that's the main distraction that's why people are up late and then the rest of the sunnah are lost in that in those things which are haram in actual in, in reality wallahul musta'an so we spoke about the actions of the prophet we spoke about his instruction to abu huraira which we could say is from his speech that's what he instructed him with and thirdly from his targhib his targhib, his, his, his encouragement. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned in a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari that every bone in the body, every joint or bone or limb in the body has a sadaqah that's due for it. Has a sadaqah that's due for it on every single day. On every day that the sun rises, there is a sadaqah that's due for every body part of yours or every limb or bone of yours. This is what the hadith basically says. For, for every day that the sun rises, there is a sadaqah that is due upon every limb of your body or joint in your body. Some say the bones of the body. Right? So what does this tell us? That technically we are supposed to give a sadaqah for each, each bone and each, each joint. Right? On every day. But then the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Kullu tasbihatin sadaqah. 
Every tasbih you do is a sadaqah. Every tasbih, every subhanallah is a sadaqah. Wa kullu tahmidatin sadaqah. And every tahmid, tahmida means to say alhamdulillah, to praise Allah, to thank Allah, this is a sadaqah. Wa kullu tahlilatin sadaqah. Every statement of la ilaha illallah is a sadaqah. Wa amur bil ma'roof sadaqah. Every amur bil ma'roof, meaning when you instruct goodness, you enjoin the good, right? You encourage people to do that which is good, that which is wajib, that which is mustahab. This is a sadaqah. Wa nahi anil munkar sadaqah. And every time you forbid the evil, you see somebody doing something wrong, you advise him, you encourage him, you tell him to stop. You forbid the evil. This is a sadaqah. So which means, sadaqah is not just with the, with money. This is also sadaqah. And this can be the sadaqah for your limbs. That is due upon your limbs as the Prophet sallallahu said. But still, there's a lot of bones and a lot of joints. That, are we doing enough? Are we doing enough of those things to, to cover every part of the body? Could be, could be tough. Allah alam, right? But then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at the end of the hadith he says, وَيَجْزِئْ مِنْ ذَلِكَ رَكْعَتَانْ يَرْكَعُهُمَا مِنَ الضُّحَى There is something that if you done it, it will suffice for all of that sadaqah. For your entire body. For all of the limbs and the bones and the joints. What is it? Two rak'at of duha. Two rak'at of duha will suffice for all of that. So a person who prays the two rak'at of duha has fulfilled his sadaqah that is due upon all of his bones and joints in his body. If he doesn't pray the duha, that means he must make more tasbih, more tahmid, more tahleel, more dhikr basically in general, and he needs to enjoy the good and forbid the evil. Because otherwise he has not paid his sadaqah for that day, which is due on his, on his body, on his bones, on his limbs, on his joints. That's a deep hadith. A very powerful and deep hadith. This shows us that Allah is our creator. We belong to him. Our body belongs to him. And there's a sadaqah that we need to give every single day for this body of ours. For these bones, these joints of ours. We haven't paid for this body. Allah never charged us a fee for this body. He gave it to us. Bi ahsani taqweem. As the Quran says, in the best of forms. We are structured and built in the best of forms. For that day. For those limbs. For those bones. Wallahu musta'an. And if you think about it, the duha, salah in general actually, and this is now more specifically duha in this case, it, you use your, all your bones to pray. Right? You have to use all the bones to pray. And you make tasbih in the salah, and tahmid in the salah, and tahleel in the salah. So there is a type of sadaqah in this. However, the Prophet specifically mentioned duha. And that will cover, you know, all of the, um, all of the limbs and so forth. Then Ibn Uthaymin mentions that there's actually a difference of opinion amongst the scholars regarding Salatul Duha. There's a difference of opinion amongst the ulama. There are some ulama who say it is not legislated. There are many scholars who believe that Salatul Duha is not legislated. For, and we're going to get to the ahadith on why. We're going to get to the ahadith on, on why. Right? Um, 
Taib, so that's one opinion. Another opinion is you only pray duha if you did not pray qiyamul layl. That's the view of Shaykh al-Islam al That those who don't pray qiyam, they must pray duha. Understand? For them, they should pray duha. Other ulama say it's legislated either way. Pray it every single day, no problem. And that's the, that seems to be the more correct view based on all of the hadith. Wallahu, wallahu a'lam. It's mutlaq as we said. Pray duha even if it's two rakat every day. If you can pray more, jayid. Right? Taib. So we move on to the next hadith, which is also narrated from Aisha radiallahu anha. The hadith says that she was asked, su'ilat, meaning somebody asked her, kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yusalli duha? Did the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pray duha? And she said no. She said no, he didn't. She said no, he didn't. Illa an yaji'a min maghibihi, except when he came from a journey. Except when he came from a journey. Right? And now we can see why some ulama went to the point and said, it's not permissible, it's not legislated. So Sam Khadr said, only when you come from a journey, or only when there's a reason, like you missed Qiyam the night before, or some other reason, this is why you pray duha. This is the view of certain ulama. Right? Without getting into the, the technical arguments, and this is a mustathna, and it, it doesn't add up with the mustathna min, and all of those things, I'm going to move on to the next hadith. Right? Firstly, actually, let me speak about the issue of coming from a journey. There's a hadith from Ka'b ibn Malik that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whenever he came from a travel, whenever he came from a journey, before going home, he used to go to the masjid and pray to raka'at. So whenever he came from a journey, before going home, he would go to the mosque, the masjid, and pray to raka'at. Right? This is not though restricted to duha. This is not just, this is mean, if he came back at night, he would do this. If he came back after Asr, he would do this. If he came back after Dhur, if he came back in the morning, he would do this. So this is not limited to what? Duha. Hence, why the scholar said, this doesn't add up in saying that only when he comes from a journey. So either she was talking about a very specific example. Did he pray Duha maybe in this occasion here? She says, no, only after he came from his journey. Something to that effect, Wallahu a'lam. Right? But the point is, the issue of coming from a journey means any journey, no matter what time you come, the sunnah is to go to the masjid and pray two raka'at and then go home. Can you pray the two raka'at at home? No. It's going to the mosque, any mosque, in your city. You come into your city, any masjid, whether it's the closest masjid to your house or some other masjid, it's a sunnah to pray two raka'at in the masjid and go home. Okay? Not to pray it at your house. But this doesn't, is not restricted to duha the way Aisha is saying it. Or, or the, the fact that she is now saying he never prayed duha except when he came from a journey. Right? As we know from the previous ahadith, there's contradiction over there. Right? There's a, a contradiction over there. The next hadith is also from Aisha where she says, مَا رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَامَ يُصَلِّي سُبْحَةَ الدُّحَى قَطْ she says, I never saw the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa praying the sunnah of duha. She says, I never saw him praying the sunnah of duha. But I pray it. But I pray the sunnah of duha. But I pray the sunnah of duha. So on the one hand, she's saying, I never saw him praying it, but I pray it. But I pray this. But I pray the, the sunnah of duha. 
So these are three ahadith we mentioned now. All from Aisha. This one says, I never saw him pray it, but I prayed. The second, the second one said, what did the second one say? He did not pray except after he gave him a journey. And the first one said, he used to pray for raka'at of duha, and then whatever he'd increase upon that, Allah, whatever Allah basically willed and allowed. So we got a contradiction. So how do the ulama basically deal with these types of God? Some ulama, as, we, as I mentioned, say it's not legislated based on that hadith. Some said it's legislated based on the first hadith. And some said it's legislated for a reason. When there's a reason, like when you come from a journey or for any other reason, then you must the qiyamul layl. Then you pray during the day. That's a, that's a reason. You understand? That where the three views come from. The view that we favored is that it's mutlaq. It's you pray it any day, any time, reason or no reason. It's a sunnah to pray the, the duha based on the first hadith. Based on the first hadith. And there's a principle in the sharia that the ulama use and that is when somebody narrates something and they affirm something and there's another narration of them negating something and that which is affirmed takes precedent over that which is negated. Because perhaps they, they forgot and that's why they negated it. Perhaps, you know. But this is some of the principles and I said I'm not going to go into all of the details. It becomes too, too much. The back and forth arguments and it becomes tedious and it becomes a bit too, too much. Stick to the, the mainstream view which is Duha is legislated. We mentioned the hadith of Aisha and also the hadith of Abu Huraira and Abu Darda and the hadith of the sadaqah on your limbs. The sadaqah on your limbs. These hadith all prove that the duha is legislated. That the duha is legislated. Then we have the two odd views of Aisha which contradicts what she previously said. To summarize the matter, when there's a contradiction between something which is negated and something which is affirmed, that which is affirmed takes precedent over that which is negated. But again, as I said, to go into all the details becomes a bit too much at this level of study, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Um, the narrator of the hadith. Um, Not sure actually. I'll, I'll check it later. It will come up again later. I think it's coming up at the end and maybe the Sheikh mentions it. But we look at the next hadith which is from Zaid ibn Arqam. Zaid ibn Arqam radiallahu anhu that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Salatul awwabina hina tarmadul fisal rawahu tirmidhi He says that the salah of the awwabin What is the awwabin? Who are the awwabin? Awwabin. The salah of the awwabin. Salah of the awwabin. Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Quran, Ni'mal abdu innahu awwab. Ni'mal abdu. What a blessed slave. Indeed he was awwab. Awwab. This is from the Awabin. So who's the Awabin? The Awabin are the people who constantly return back to Allah. The people who constantly return back to Allah and they give up their sin and they go back to 
ob- uh, obedience to Allah. Basically, the, the some translate as repentance. The people who repent, they return back to Allah. Right? It's the people who, who repent. They give up their sin and they repent. They turn back to Allah. Like the Tawwabin. Awwabin and Tawwabin is something very similar. The people who are constantly returning back to Allah, giving up their sins and doing good deeds. Right? So the hadith says, the salah of the awwabin. When is, what, what, what is their salah? It is when the young weaned camels feel the heat of the sun. What does this mean? What does this tell us? What does this mean? When the young camels feel the heat of the sun. It's before birthday. It's when it's hot. The sun is at its peak. Right? So this tells us, this gives us a bit more detail about duha. What does, this, what does this tell us? This basically tells us the best time for duha is at the end of its waqt. The best time for duha is when? At the end of its waqt, just before zawal. That time period before zawal, that's the best time. So if you were to choose, when would I pray duha? You could pray it early in the morning, no problem. You could pray at 10, 9 a.m., no problem. But if you chose to pray, let's say at 11.30, quarter to 12, 12 o'clock, knowing, let's say, Duha is now 12.30, and you decide I'm going to pray for that half an hour or the 15 minutes before 12.30, for example, that's the best time to pray Duha, based on this hadith. Because that is the salah of the awwabin. The Prophet described it like this. Those, those righteous people who always return to Allah and repent to Allah and give up their sins and go to good deeds, this is the time they pray. So this is the waqt of duha. It's in the waqt of duha. And this is the best time to pray duha. This is the best time to pray um, duha. Tayyip. So what we know is generally this a salah is best when? In the beginning of the waqt. Right? The best time to pray salah is <coughs> in, the, in the beginning of the waqt. Except for certain occasions. Like Isha. If you miss the jama'ah, if you, if you can pray in jama'ah, you should pray in jama'ah. Otherwise, it's good to delay isha. Duha would be another example. Zuhr, if it's extremely hot. Right? If there's a, if there's a reason for that. But otherwise, salah at the early time is the best. Also, Qiyamul Layl. Tahajjud at the end of the night is better than the beginning of the night. But the general rule is, the earlier the walk, the better. But duha is one of those examples where it's best to delay the waqt based on this hadith. And this hadith, by the way, the author says, Rawahu Tirmidhi. The hadith is also in Sahih Muslim. The hadith is also in Sahih Muslim and not only in a Tirmidhi. So it's an authentic hadith about praying duha at the end of the day when it gets hot. But obviously you should know it's not the time of Zawal, yes? School. If you're at school and you don't have a chance, Allah won't punish you for It's not a fault. Right? But if you can pray, like let's say you're tahil school, you can make salah anytime. Right? You can say, Sheikh, can I pray salat al-duha? Bismillah, you know. You tell the Sheikh, look, it's a sunnah for me to pray salat al-duha. Can I pray salat al-duha? It took me five minutes, three minutes. Pray two rakaat. That's it. You've got the reward al-duha. You know? Those who are unable, it's not a fard. Allah has not made it an obligation. If you wish to pray it and you are unable to pray it, Allah will give you the reward in any case. Person will get what he intended. 
Understand? So if you make it a part of your daily life, and this is the other point on the same point, if you make it a part of your daily life and there's a day where you were too busy, you will get the reward of praying it either way. Because of work, because of school, because of whatever, you couldn't pray that day, Allah will give you the reward for that day. But if you never pray, and then the day goes by and you're like, oh man, I, I wanted to actually pray duha. You know, that niya, I don't know if Allah is going to accept that niya because you never pray the salah in any case. You know? So, if it's a part of your, your ada, your sunnah, your own way that you, you generally pray it and you missed it, Allah will give you the reward. But if you never do it, and then you say, ah, I, I wish I prayed it today, or, you know? Allah alam. Depending, Allah knows whether your niya was sincere or not. Allah Azza wa Jalla knows based on that issue. Regarding those surahs, regarding those surahs, so you're speaking about the adhkar of sleep, yeah. right? There's a list of adhkar that you should recite, the Ayatul Kursi, the Quls, and uh, Suratul Kafirun, and various adhkar, right? Then at the end of that list, if you look at my list at least, at the end of the list is certain lengthy surahs. Surah Zumar is in there, Surah Mulk is in there, Surah Sajda is in there. Um, you know, there's some lengthy surahs in there. What we say regarding those surahs is, it's not sunnah to do it every single night. It's not a sunnah to do them every single night. You should do them whenever you are able to do them. Maybe mulk we can say is a bit more stressed. But even then it's not sunnah to necessarily do it every single night. As whenever you can, you should do it. It's more stressed than the others because of the reward attached to it that it protects you from the, the adab of the qabr. Right? Surah mulk. However, the others should be done now and then when you get the chance to do them. So we don't say the Prophet did it every single night. Because they're lengthy surahs. It's narrated that he did it before he slept. At times. At times. You know? But not every single night before he sleeps. I must read Mulk. I must read Zumar. I must read Sajda. I must read Isra. I think is in there as well. You know? Those are lengthy. You're going to end up reading almost two ajza every single night before you sleep. What about the other parts of the Qur'an that you want to recite? What about, you know, it will take up a lot of your time. So now and then you should read maybe Sajda one night, another night you can read maybe Isra one night, but it doesn't have to be done every single night. When you have the chance, do them. When you don't have the chance, don't do them. Don't make it a major obligation upon yourself because it's lengthy and it shouldn't be done every single night and Allah knows best. This is what the scholars have mentioned about those surahs. The easy, shorter ones and the dhikrs, they are simple and quick. Those should be done as best as you can, if you can, every single night, because they contain a lot of benefit and reward and protection and so forth, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, I think we got one or two ahadith before we end off. An Anasin radiallahu anhu, he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man salla duha thintay ashrata rak'atan banallahu lahu qasran fil jannah rawahu tirmidhi wastaghrabahu. The hadith says that whomsoever prays al-duha with 12 raka'at, Allah will build for him a palace in Jannah. A qasr. A qasr is either a palace or a castle in Jannah. Hadith is that tidmidi, although he was taghrabahu means he deemed the hadith to be, to be uh, strange, gharib. It's, just, it's an odd or strange hadith. So there's weakness in this hadith basically. It's a weak hadith. Um, regarding the Duha, what we say is, do as much as you can. 
either two or four or six or eight or even more than that if you want to. The Prophet وسلم, at times used to make eight raka'at of duha, sometimes less, we know four, sometimes in between, Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. The twelve, how else can we get the qasr in Jannah? The, the twelve, what's the word for it? What's the word for it? Rukun is the arkan, the pillars of the salah. Ra, Ra, Rawatib, Rawatib, write it down. The rawatib, which is the ones attached to the salah, right? The two before fajr, four before dhuhr, two after dhuhr, two after maghrib, two after isha, two after rakat. Whoever prays that gets a palace in Jannah. He already gets a house in Jannah for that. The one of the of the twelve for duha is a weak hadith, and Allah knows best. The last hadith from Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, "Dakhal al-Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam baiti." The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam entered my house, fasallat duha. And so he prayed eight raka'at of duha. He prayed eight raka'at of um, duha, although there's also weakness in this chain of narration. How many raka'at do we pray? At least two and up. There's no limit that is mentioned in the sunnah for the amount of raka'at for duha. Easy, right? At least two, but you can make two by two, basically. Like Qiyamul Layl, no limits. The more the media, the more time you have. I focus on quality over quantity as always um, was in the Sharia. Right? We've mentioned the virtues of duha, especially the one of the sadaqah that uh, really uh, shows us the strength and the power of duha. At least two raka'at, it was the advice of the Prophet to his beloved Sahaba not to leave it off. And the hadith of Aisha says he prayed eight and up. Eight and up, as we said, two is also valid. Before we end off, where does Salatul Ishraq fit in? <coughs> Ishraq prayer. After Dhur. Ishraq. When is Ishraq? Huh? When is Ishraq? Have you never heard the term Ishraq? Yes. That's why I bring it up because usually it's a it's a known thing in Cape Town. Ishraq. The time of Ishraq is so much or this is the waqf for ishraq and so forth. Where does ishraq fit in? When is ishraq? <laughs> what was that at the back there? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Another guess. Ishraq is the early morning time. After sunrise, that's ishraq. So Ishraq is when they refer to Ishraq as the time when sunrise is over, now it's Ishraq. So when sunrise stops, it goes past the length of a spear, now it's Ishraq. This is the time for Ishraq. Right? This is the time for Ishraq. So the reality is Ishraq and Duha is, is what? What's the difference between Ishraq and Duha? No, 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 no. I said Ishraq is the time after the sun has risen. Which means it's a permissible time to make salah. Right? It's a permissible time. So what's the difference between Ishraq and Duha? Is there a difference? Is there a difference? 
That's what they, you see, at the end of the day, Ishraq and Duha is the same thing. Ishraq is, is just another term that's used. The word Ishraq is, is it refers to that morning time, right? Um, so Ishraq is that time that's it's a salah that's prayed in the morning, right? That early hours of the morning, just after sunrise, but it's also a part of Duha. It's a part of Duha. Understand? They're the same thing. It's the same thing. Understand? It's the same thing. It's just another word, name that's used. Just another name that's used. But Ishraq refers more to that early morning prayer. That early morning time. That's more Ishraq. Because the word Sharq in Arabic refers to the, the east. The east. Where does the sun rise? In the east. That's why. It's, it's the Sharq. It's Ishraq. That the sun is over there in the east. You understand? Ishraq. Meaning the sun is out there in the east. It's still coming up. It's that early morning period. This is Ishraq. But it's also part of the waqt of Duha. It's also part of the waqt of Duha. So in reality, they are very similar. They're the same thing. The only difference is Ishraq refers more to the early morning time period. Whereas Duha refers to that whole morning period up until Zawal. Up until Zawal. What's the, the reward for praying that time? What's there's a special hadith about this? For praying in that time. What's the hadith? The hadith says the person will get the reward of a hajj and umrah. Complete, complete, complete. How do you get that reward? The person will get, whoever does something, will have the reward like that of a hajj and umrah. Complete, complete, complete. That was the words the Prophet used. Complete, complete, complete. How do we get that reward? Whoever prays Salah in Jama'ah, Fajr in Jama'ah, then he stays in the Masjid. He remembers Allah until the sun rises. So you stay in the mosque until the sun goes up and you pray two raka'at. And you get the reward of a Hajj and Umrah, complete, complete, complete. In the Masjid. In the Masjid. In the Masjid, it's fine. You don't have to sit on the dead same spot, no. If you're in the masjid and you stay in the state of dhikr, right? So whether you're reading Quran, you make your adhkar of the morning and so forth. But you stay in the masjid until the sun has risen. Sunrise is now over. The time period is over. Then you pray two raka'at of salah. This is your, technically your ishraq slash duha. You get the reward of a hajj and umrah. Complete, complete, complete. Understand? I think this, I don't see this happening in South Africa in Cape Town, except very rarely, very rarely. But I used to see this very often in, in Medina. So in the, I know in the, in the university masjid, you would see lots of students do this. After Fajr, everybody stays in the mosque, and they start to either review their work, which is dhikr, or you're reading Quran, memorizing Quran. And before they leave, it's already sunrise over, pray two raka'at and leave, acting upon this hadith. And you also notice it in the harams. You'll see people wait. Is it sunrise? Okay, sunrise is done. Pray two rakat and then they go for breakfast. Or then they go to sleep, for example, depending. Understand? What about the females? What about the woman? The woman can do it at home. 
The woman can do it at home. So there's also a hadith of I forget the name. One of the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was with her and she was on her musalla after Salatul Fajr. She prays Fajr and she stays on her musalla. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam goes out. He goes out and he does some work and he comes back a few hours later. A few hours later he gets back to the house. And what's she doing? She's still on the musalla. So from Fajr for a few hours she stayed on the musalla. And she was making dhikr. Whatever it was that she was doing Quran and so forth. But she was in a state of ibadah. The Prophet ﷺ comes home and asks her, Have you stayed in this position and from the time I left? She said, Yes, I've been here. I've been busy with dhikr. And the Prophet ﷺ then tells her, I can teach you something that is equal to, or that's more virtuous than whatever you, you did right now. Meaning I'll teach you one dhikr, to say that's better than your entire period that you stayed now, that, that you spent in dhikr, this one dhikr will outdo all of that. What was the dhikr? I can't hear. Let's get the mic for the back also. Ahsanti, subhanallah wa bihamdi, adada khalqi, wa rida nafsi, wa zinata arshi, wa midada kalimati. Three times, the Prophet say this three times in the morning. It's better than that entire period that she spent in dhikr. That wasn't bid'ah that she was doing. That wasn't wasted worship. That she was in proper legitimate dhikr. That shows you the virtue of this dhikr, which is part of the morning adhkar. It's in me. Subhanallah wa bihamdi, adada khalqi, wa ridha nafsi, wa zinata arshi, wa midari kalimati. Three times in the morning, it's better than that period. The point I wanted to get to was is, Take note of how this mother of the believers, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, spent her morning. She prayed Fajr in the home and she remained on the musalla in a state of dhikr. Understand? So this is a sunnah for the woman. They should pray at home and stay on the musalla. Make their morning adhkar, read some Quran, and when sunrise is over, pray the two raka'at. And they will get the reward of a hajjan and umrah, complete, complete, complete. Understand? And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu wa la ilahi illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.